A legacy is something handed down from one generation to the next. We choose what legacy we leave. This message is the first in the series, House Builders. The message is entitled, Choose a Positive Legacy. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. As we start a new series of messages, it will take us for the next several weeks, uh, perhaps into the first part of September. I wanna talk to you about house builders. And today I wanna talk to you about choosing a positive legacy. I hope that you enjoyed the Israel series. It was a great opportunity for us to learn some things from the Holy Land. Now we're sort of turning the corner for a fresh series talking about how to build your house. The word house in the New Testament is really a derivative of a Greek word, oikos, and that Greek word oikos is a very important word. Because when the Bible speaks of us building our house or building our oikos, it's talking about a lot of different things. In our culture, we talk about a house, we tend to think of a physical structure, but that actual Greek word is a word that goes beyond a physical structure. It starts with relating to your own life, because you are a house. The Bible says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about building a house, we're talking about building your life. We're talking about the physical location where you live. Every one of you here today have an address and there are things that happen in that house. It might be an apartment. It might be a condominium. It might be a, might be a townhouse. It might be a single family home. It might be a tent in the backyard. I don't know what it is, but you have an address where you live and things happen in that physical location. That's your house. Your house represents your family. We talk about the household of faith and those that are part of our household. And so it represents our family, both our immediate family and our extended family. And actually, the Greek word oikos also includes something beyond that. It includes the environment that you work in, the environment that you minister in, the environment where you have an influence with your life. And so your oikos, your house, is not just your physical location or just your household. Your house represents who you are and what you're building with your life. And all of us are building an oikos in a variety of different ways. There's certain things that we need to know about our house in its broadest sense. And for the next few weeks, as I said, we're gonna talk about how do you build your house? How do you build your oikos, if you will? How do you make sure that all of these things are in place? The messages that I will share with you over these next several weeks are not meant to be a formula. There's no formula that can fix your house, but there are principles that if you'll live by the principles, the principles will guide you. The principles will strengthen as you build. And so we're talking about principled living, principled choices that we will make in the house, the points of influence that we have in, in our own lives, in our households, our families. And I want to talk this weekend about legacy. And the reason I start with legacy is because what you want to do with your life is to realize that your life is an important life to live, not just for now, but into the future. And so you have to think about your legacy from the beginning because you'll never build something good if you don't understand why you're building it. So you'll do the right thing in your life if you understand why you need to be doing the right thing. And so your why will always lead to your what. If you have the right why, you'll do the right what and how. So I want to give you the why today. Why should we even be concerned about this thing called our house? I'll give you three things that I think will help us to understand this concept of legacy and why it's so important. The first thing that I'd encourage you to write down this morning in your notes, if you will, is that for good or bad, your house will outlast you. For good or bad, your house is going to outlast you. What you build is going to have an impact after you're gone. It's something that goes beyond this life. Your house has generational impact. 
What you're building now will go beyond your world. Let me say this to all of us here today, no matter what our age is, you're starting your legacy now. You might be a young person, but you're still starting your legacy now. Whatever age you are, you have an impact upon the legacy that you will leave behind. And Scripture very clearly refers to the enduring power and the potential of a person's house. Let me give you a few examples of this. Exodus chapter 19. Verse number three, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob. By the way, Jacob had been dead many years by this time, but nevertheless, God is still referring to the house of Jacob. There's a house that Jacob left behind. Joshua 17, verse 17, but Joshua said to the house of Joseph. Again, Joseph has been dead many, many decades now, but God is still thinking about the house that Joseph left behind. It is outlasting him. 1 Kings 13, 33 through 34. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. So we have an example that's good from Jacob, an example that's good from Joseph, an example that is bad from Jeroboam. I'll give you another example that is bad. It's Ahab. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, one of the kings of Israel. It's talking about one of the kings that followed his ways. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. Are you seeing today that your house, for good or bad, is going to outlast you? God measures you generationally. God is concerned about what you're leaving behind. Now, this is very clear in a number of different places, perhaps no clearer than you'll find in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. God made it very clear that your life has generational impact, that what you do outlasts you. God is speaking to Moses. Moses is having this incredible encounter with God, and he's seeing the presence of God in a way like he'd never seen it before, and God speaks to Moses in the midst of this experience. Let's see what God says to him, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and he passed, God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Would you read verse 7 with me at all of our campuses? Let's read together. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. Now, notice that. The Bible says God can maintain love to thousands, but also when you and I choose to disobey God, it can have an impact to the third and fourth generation. This verse should not uh, create a fear in you, but it should create a sobriety in you to recognize that what you do is lasting beyond you. Moses learned a very important lesson about legacies. He learned that, that sin carries bad seed with it. And when you and I live a life of sin or disobedience to God, we're planting seeds that will oftentimes come behind us in the generations that will follow us. He also learned that right living carries good seed that will also produce things for the future as well. How you build your house matters. How you build your house is important. Why? Because your house will outlast you for good or for bad. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24. It's not on your notes, but it will be on the screen. So this is, these are the words of Jesus. Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that is, if you do the right thing with your life, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So it takes wisdom, we'll talk more about that in the series, to build your house in such a way that it will outlast you in a positive way, a positive impact. The second point I want to share with you today is this, bad legacies can be broken. Now, when I use that word broken, I want to make sure I clarify it for you. The word broken, as I'm using it there, is that you can break free from a bad legacy. All of us here in our lives, we have been impacted by people that have gone before us or people that are around us for good or for bad, usually a little bit of both. In some situations, people have had very bad experiences in terms of the legacies they were handed and Uh, For some others, it's been very, very good, and for most of us, it's kind of a mixed bag. You get a little bit of good, a little bit of bad when you're going through life and living life and experiencing life. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about the bad legacies that many of us struggle with. The Bible says that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the children, to the third and fourth generation. Did we not just read that a moment ago? Did you remember that? So in other words, what do we do if we're in a situation where maybe we had the sins of the fathers, and the fathers obviously represent uh, people who are significant in our life, not just necessarily our our natural fathers. It could certainly relate to that, our natural family, if you will. But the experiences that we have in life that we are subjected to, the sins of influential people in our life get passed on generationally. It's called generational sin. Say it with me. Generational sin are things that you picked up from generations before you that you're still carrying with you. Oftentimes, we see it in the psychological dimension of life. You see, oftentimes, an alcohol, coming from an alcoholic family, you'll often have kids who will struggle with alcoholism or struggle with alcoholic adult children of alcoholism and the syndromes that go along with it. So there are sins of the fathers that impact the children, Right? doesn't take brilliance to understand that. Sins of the fathers passed on to the children. Sins of those who've influenced us. Again, it goes beyond just the familial realm, but those who've influenced us, we are impacted by. Here's the question for you today. What do you do if you've found yourself in a situation where those that have gone before you have created a pattern for you or an example for you that is not so good. And so you now find that you're struggling with the same pattern, sinful patterns of those who went before you. How do you break free? The good news is you can break free. Before I talk about breaking free, let me give you a few examples. Let's say you were raised in an environment or you were subjected quite a bit over your early years to an environment of fear and insecurity. More than likely, you will struggle with your fear and insecurity in your life now. Let's say you were subjected, subjected to an environment of, of intense anger, people that didn't, did not know how to manage their anger very well. You grew up in a home like that. You were subjected to lots of angry people around you in your formative years especially. What you will find yourself often struggling with is now controlling that same thing in your life. It may come out in different measures. Maybe it's the inability to control anger and you end up in rage, or maybe you end up with lots of passive-aggressive behavior, but you struggle with that. Maybe you grew up, as I mentioned a moment ago, in a home of addictions, and maybe now you're struggling with addiction. It's sort of passed on generationally. You learn that pattern of living, or maybe you're reacting to an addiction home that you grew up in, or 
You know, there's some people that grow up in what I would call a generational pattern of poverty. They think, you know, I'll never get beyond this dimension of life. And so they live with a poverty mindset. I'll never make much of myself. And so that's an attitude of unbelief, an attitude of not feeling like that God can help them get beyond that poverty mindset in their life. Sometimes it's prejudice. People grow up in atmospheres that are just laden with prejudice. And they come into their world and they're still struggling with things of this nature. All these are generational sins. Say that with me again. What are they? Generational sins that get passed on from the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation, the Bible says. It can happen to us. Now, the question becomes, how do we change this? How do we, how do we break free of this? It's important to understand that you, if this is you, and again, there could be lots of other areas that we talk about, but if you find that you're struggling with a generational sin, you can't build a very good house if you're bra- dragging with you some baggage in the journey, right? You in agreement with me on that? Can't build a very good house if you got this junk with you that you're carrying with you from generations past. And so the question is, how can I deal with this? Is there any way that I can be free? Here's the good news for you today. You can be the turnaround generation. But you've got to make some choices to say, I don't want to live with those patterns in my life any longer. I'm making some decisions. It's not going to happen by desire alone. There's some things that you have to do to break free. Let me share with you the first thing that you must do is you must have a relationship with Jesus because there's no hope of breaking free without Christ. He's the one that redeems us and sets us free. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? He is the new creation. It has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. When you're born again, listen to me today. When you're born again, you're born into a new family. You got a new father, okay? And because you've got a new family, you've got a new father, you have the hope of a new life. But it's not just enough to be born again. You have to begin to let that newness of life be lived through you. And so you have to break free of these patterns because now Christ in his power is living inside of you. I'm going to give you seven things that are essential if you're going to break free as a believer in Jesus from generational sins, from things that perhaps you're still carrying with you that you need to break free from. Seven very important decisions and actions you have to take. These are on your notes. We'll go through them fairly quickly, but each of them are extremely important. If you're struggling with something, listen closely, if you're struggling with something in your life right now that you know is not going to allow you to build the kind of house and legacy for your future, and you know that you need to deal with it, here are the seven things that you've got to do. Number one, you've got to recognize it. You can't deal with anything you don't identify. You can't deal with anything you can't name. You've got to be able to say, this is the baggage in my life. A lot of people will go through their their entire life and they'll continue to repeat the patterns of generations past because they haven't stopped and said, you know what, this needs to stop and it needs to stop now and I'm going to name it. I'm going to put a name to it. This is my problem. This is my baggage. Do you know what your baggage is? You know what the baggage is in your life. You've got to recognize it because you cannot change what you can't see. You can't change what you refuse to see about yourself. The second thing that's important is not only do you need to recognize those things, but you need to own them. What I mean by that is 
is perhaps the pattern that you're dealing with in your life didn't start with you, but it can end with you. Maybe it was somebody else that started this pattern. Maybe you learned it from an environment you grew up in, but it doesn't have to continue. If it's a bad thing in your life, you don't have to continue it. You need to own it. You need to address it. You can't blame somebody else for it. You have to stand up and say, God, with your grace and power, now I own the responsibility for changing this in my life. You will never be the stand-up, turnaround generation to build the house that God wants you to build until you recognize your baggage until you own it and say, now it's my responsibility to deal with it. No longer am I going to blame anybody else for this. It's my job. It is my task with God to address this in my life. Number three, you have to repent of it and renounce it. Let's say you grew up in an environment, or maybe you've been exposed to environments that generated a lot of anger in your life, and you recognize that's my problem, that's my baggage. I don't know how to control my anger I either go into rage or I go into passive-aggressive behavior. I don't, don't, don't handle it well. This is my baggage. And you know, for so long, I've said I'm that way because that's the way my parents were. I didn't really own it. Now I'm owning it to say, it's my problem. I need to do something about it. And then I come to God and say, God, I want to say, I, I want to tell you that I own this. And I, I'm sorry for this being in my life. That's called repentance. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry for it, however. It's now saying Now that I feel sorry for it, I realize this is not who I want to be with my life. I'm going to turn from it. See, repentance means I'm changing my mind about where my life is going. My life has been going this way. I recognize the baggage. I recognize the sin, the generational sin. I own it. I bring it to God, and I say, now, God, I'm going to turn in a new direction. I'm renouncing this thing in my life. I'm, going to, I'm making a decision that this is no longer going to have. It's not going to be welcome in my house. Amen? You all tracking with me today? The fourth thing you have to do is you have to, you have to release people that you feel contributed to your baggage. You know, sometimes you can feel like, you know, I've got this baggage in my life, but it's this person that sort of gave this to me, and so it's really their fault. It's not just a matter of blaming them, but it's a matter of being bitter toward them because you're now angry because that's what was passed on to you. And so you're mad at them because they gave this to you. You're still still, uh, nursing some anger inside and bitterness. And so here's the key to remember. Anytime you're bitter or angry towards someone or you're unforgiving towards someone, that bitterness continues to link you to bondage. That's worth writing down. Bitterness always links you to bondage. It always links you to bondage. You can't be free from a bondage until you let go of your bitterness. That is totally impossible. And so as long as there's bitterness or resentment inside of you at any level, bitterness and resentment inside of you at any level will continue to tie you to that thing. When you're mad at somebody and angry and holding a grudge and nursing a grudge towards someone, you've got to come to the place of forgiveness. Now, when, when we talk about forgiveness as a message in and of itself, I don't have time to really go into all of that today, but forgiveness is not excusing what somebody did. Forgiveness is giving grace to them as God has given grace to you and then letting God deal with them. See, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so if somebody deserves judgment, you and I don't get, we don't have the right to judge them, but God knows how to judge them righteously. Amen. So forgiveness says, I let go of this. I'm no longer the judge. I release them. I let go of my bitterness. Now, God, I put them in your hands. You take care of them. And God is well able to take care of people who need to be taken care of. Amen? 
He knows how to do that. And so you and I need to release. These are, I'm going through these steps, but every one of them are essential. In fact, I wrote an entire book called Steps to Freedom that's based around some of these themes. It would be valuable perhaps for you to read at some point in time. But we're, so I, I'm not going into great depth of these, but all of these are important. Number five, you've got to apply the power of Jesus' shed blood over the baggage in your life. Jesus bought you from slavery to sin with the price of his blood. When Jesus was on the cross and blood dripped from his hands and blood dripped from his feet to the ground, to the earth. And when blood dripped from his forehead with the crown of thorns on his head and blood dripped from his side when they pierced him, when that blood came down and touched the earth, he was buying your freedom. He was purchasing your redemption. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. You are not powerless because the power of Jesus' blood was shed for you. And so if I've got an issue, let's say with anger or with addiction or with insecurity or with fear, or whatever it might be, you just name whatever your baggage is. And you've come to God and say, God, I renounce this stuff. I don't want to go this way. This is messing my house up. This is messing my house up. I don't want this in my house anymore. The first house is me, okay? And so I don't want this in me anymore. And so I'm renouncing and repenting of this stuff in my life. I'm owning it. I'm taking responsibility before you in this thing. Now, God, I'm applying the power of your blood. I thank you that your blood redeemed me from this garbage. Your blood redeemed me from this baggage. I am not destined to live this way anymore. I am not destined to be a slave to fear. I'm not destined to be a slave to anger. I'm not destined to be a slave to addiction. I'm not destined to be a slave to insecurity. I'm not destined to be a slave to fill in the blank with your bondage. You're not destined to that because the power of Jesus' blood bought you from it, okay? It's valuable to understand that. You apply the power of Jesus' blood. He bought you from this. He purchased your redemption. The number six, you need to become a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't just go through some little formula here and expect things to work for you. You've got to say, I'm going to get serious in my relationship with Jesus. Very important part of this journey because we, we, we like, everybody likes quick fixes. Anybody like a quick fix? How many love the microwave? I was reading not too long ago the instructions on the back. I was reading on, on an article, the instructions on the back of a Pop-Tart. Put in the microwave, I think it was three seconds. Can you imagine? You, know, you got your breakfast in three seconds. Think about that. We love this kind of stuff. We like instant things in our life. We want to fix our life very, very quickly. But God works by principle and by process. Say it with me. Principle and process. The principles I've laid out here, we've just talked about. But there's also a process of learning how to be a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means you get the word in you. You get more of Jesus in you. Jesus is, in, is the word. You get more of him in you, working in you, by a disciplined process of living. That's what a disciple means, to be disciplined in the way that you live. Listen to what Jesus said about this in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the 
truth and the truth will set you free. Why is this important? Because behind every bondage is, not, is a lie. Behind every bondage is a lie. And so that's why you can pray all these prayers, but if you don't learn the truth, you're still not going to be free. See, there's a, there's a lie behind an addiction. The lie behind an addiction says, I'm in pain. I'll feel better if I medicate myself in this way. It's going to solve my problem for you. Lie. It never solves your problems for you. In fact, it creates more problems in your life down the road. But the lie of the adversary is do this and you will feel better. This will get you where you want to get in life. And so there's a lie behind every bondage in your life. And the thing that sets you free is learning the truth of what God says about it. When you know what God says, you grab his truth. His truth becomes reality to you. It exposes the lie. You no longer have to live in it. Why it means that you need to get in the Word, and the Word gets into you, and you become a committed disciple and follower of Jesus. And then number seven, you've got to trust God to take the curse that was meant for evil in your life and turn it to good for His glory. It is so wonderful to see people become the turnaround generation, because if you had a lot of baggage in your, in your life, you begin to let God deal with your baggage. He takes your baggage and turns it into a message of blessing to people of what God can do in a person's life. You're never too young and you're never too old to deal with generational sin. If it's in your life, it's messing up your house. And to fix your house, to make sure your house is all that it needs to be, you've got to deal with the baggage that you're carrying with you. The third point that I want to share with you today is this. Strong, positive legacies can be built. Just like their generational sins, they're also generational blessings. And all of us here today, if you look back over your life, while you may have some people and situations in your life that have been pretty bad and tough and difficult, maybe led you to some bad choices and some bad patterns in your life, I will promise you, if you look hard enough and long enough, you'll find some good examples in your life as well. Everybody here, you've had some good people along the journey that have shown you love and shown you kindness and shown you mercy and shown you grace and people who've helped you see the right way to live. For some of you, maybe you've had lots of those in your life or others, maybe just a few, but everybody has had some. And what you want to do is you want to learn if you're going to build the right kind of house, you have to have the right kind of model, correct? You don't build a house without a plan, right? You got to have a plan. You got to see what one looks like. If you want to build a house, you're planning to build a new house, more than likely, you're probably going to drive around neighborhoods and look at houses and say, I really like that one, don't like that one, do like that one. And so you find something that you, you, you're, you are attracted to, something that says, this is the kind of house that I want to build. And so what you want to do is find some models in your life, looking back of things that are positive. Don't live your life on the negative view. Begin to find some positive examples as well, because everybody has somebody who's been positive in your life. There are people who are positive around you right now that you can gain examples from, to learn from them. I'm so grateful as I stand here today because I wouldn't be standing here today if it had not been for two godly parents. I'm grateful for my parents who raised me in the things of God, took me to church, and I'm standing on their shoulders today. And I'm grateful today that I'm standing on the shoulders of my grandparents on my mother's side and my grandparents on my father's side 
who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus. And so they built a legacy that my parents stood on, and I'm standing on a legacy that my parents stood on. And I'm grateful that I can go back that I know of to that next generation that I had a great-grandparent on both sides of my, my heritage that knew Jesus Christ. So I, I'm grateful. I wouldn't be here today had it not been for the shoulders that I'm standing. Aren't you grateful for some people in your life that have given you a step up in your journey, right? Okay. See, we always think about the people who put us down, but somebody has helped you up. You would not even be here today had somebody not helped you up. You would not be sitting in that seat where you are today, whatever campus you're in, had somebody not influenced your life in a positive way. And so what you want to do is stop for a moment and say, now I want to build this house. I want to make sure I have the right legacy, but I need a model. I need to reflect on some people in my life who've done it the right way and have put some good seed in me. And so I, I want to imitate those folks. And I'll give you three words to use here that will help you to value this and to begin to move in the positive direction. First of all, you need to be grateful for those individuals in your life. Because again, you wouldn't be here. That Maybe that reason you're here in this place today is because somebody shared Jesus Christ with you or somebody invited you to church or somebody that you knew in your family had a relationship with Jesus or somebody at work knew Christ. Christ and they shared him with you. Are you grateful for people that have been builder uppers, if you will, we might say in your life? Are you grateful for them? Give God thanks and not only give God thanks, but give them thanks. Tell them and then you honor them. Honor is something that we're missing in our culture today. We haven't learned very much about honor, but honor is a valuable thing. And honor, the Bible very clearly talks to us about the power of honor. Listen to what it says in Romans 13, verse 7. Give Everybody say give. give. What does it mean when you give? To give means you got you to release it from you, right? If I say, hey, give me that piece of paper that you have in your hand, I'm not going to have it until you let go of it. You actually, you, there's, a, there's a step, there's something you do. And so the Bible says that you and I are to give respect and honor to all to whom it is due. So you can't think respect and think honor only. Real respect and honor has to be given. You have to express it in some way. It has to be extended from you and then make the choice to imitate. Don't let the example of good people be lost on you. Imitate them. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and do what? Imitate their faith. You can make the choice today to actively build a positive legacy in your house. Even if you do not receive a great legacy, what you've got to understand is you can begin the process now. You can be the turnaround generation. The seeds that you plant now will be your harvest tomorrow. The harvest you have now represents the seeds you, passed, you, you, you planted in the past. If you don't like your harvest, you got to change your seed, right? If you wanted corn, but you planted carrots, I'm sorry, all you're gonna get carrots. Whatever you want in your life, you gotta plant the seed to produce the harvest that you're desiring. When the children of Israel I'm going to conclude with this. When the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land, they've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, not with no home. They didn't have a house. 
They're living as nomads for 40 years in the wilderness. And God says, now I'm going to take you in and you're going to build houses in the promised land. You're going to settle there. You're going to settle in this promised land. But when you get into the promised land, I want to give you some instructions because the house you build is not just a house physically, but it's, it's your legacy. It's what you need to build for your future. You need to build the right way. And so God instructed them with these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as they were going in. He reminded them of planting the right seed in their houses so that their houses could be built strong. These are the commands, verses 1 and 2, Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So that, he said, I gave you all these laws, all these instructions, all these principles. I'm giving them to you so that, so that what? So that your, your what? And their children. That's legacy, is it not? So your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. God said, I'm giving you all this instruction. You're going into the land. You're going to start building houses for the first time after 40 years. I want your houses to be strong, not just your physical house, but your life, your family, your household. I want it to be strong. And so I'm giving you these laws so that your children and your children's children can have a heritage for their future and so that you can enjoy long life. Verses six through nine, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God says, make sure that your house is marked by my law because when you live my way, you're establishing the legacy that will be a positive one for the future. Why are we taking time to talk about our houses? Well, the first reason is because you are building a legacy with your life, whether you realize it or not. For good or bad, your house is going to outlast you. If you've got some bad seed in you and some bad baggage, some things that you're carrying with you that's messing up your house right now, it's time to deal with it, right? To come to say, God, I don't want this to mess up my house. I'm coming to you and asking you to help me to deal with any generational sin that I'm carrying with me, anything that still I'm carrying in my own life that's messing my house up. And then to say, now that I've dealt with that and I'm dealing with that, now, God, would you help me to see the good examples in life and realize that I've got some good things to look at. I can be grateful for. I can honor those to whom honor is due. I can imitate those that you bring into my life that will help me to learn how to process this journey, to realize that I'm moving into a promised land. I want to establish a house that will bless my children and my children's children and that will allow me to enjoy a long life as well. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're so very grateful for the opportunity that we've had to study. Thank you for the promises of your word, the instructions of your word. And Lord, I pray that today that something that has been said, Lord, would be echoed and driven home to each one of us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know that very word that you and I need to hear today. Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, today hear that word in our hearts to receive it through the power of your spirit, and to respond appropriately to it in Jesus' name.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.